You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for, by, and about black culture. I'm your host, Panama Jackson, and today, today we have a very, very special guest, the most special guest I can arguably say I've had on this show, as we are joined by my wife, Simona Noche Wright. How you doing, Simona? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> All professional I'm... and whatnot. Now, the question is, why is my wife joining us today? Let me answer that. This month, this January 2023 at the Grio, we're doing a month of Africa Amplified. And what that means is we're taking an opportunity at the Grio to amplify stories by, for, and about the diaspora, specifically centering the continent of Africa. So we've had a lot of content on the site, uh, discussions happening where people have been talking about the way they grew up, where they're from, things that are happening in the continent, all that good stuff. Well, it just so happens that my wife happens to be from Ghana. We got a real live Ghanaian here in the house, y'all. <laughs> so what that also means is that in our house, we've had all kind of interesting cultural conversations about how we raise our kids, about uh, the entertainment we're interested in, just about things going on in the world. Like the perspectives are so interesting and so different. That it makes for a very interesting household at times. But this isn't about our household necessarily. It's Africa Amplified. It ain't, it ain't the Panama Jackson household Amplified discussion. So I decided to bring my wife on here to have a conversation with her about affected... Well, two things. One, what it's like seeing what seems like the United States kind of come around. I don't know if this is the Wakanda impact or Wakanda effect. But kind of come around on being excited about... African ancestry, about going to the continent now, and how that may have differed from prior, and what it's like to see her country in particular kind of have its moment. So we're going to have a good time here talking about uh, the continent today, talking about Ghana, and Simone, I'm very excited to have you here. It's not very often that you can have your family on here, specifically your wife. We always talk about getting, how we're going to get you on this podcast. So how you feeling? How you doing? I'm so excited. I'm like... All proud, looking at you doing your thing and everything. But I'm excited <laughs> to be here, and you know, I'm, I'm, you, you forgot the Cote d'Ivoire part, so I'm Ivorian. Well, I was gonna get Ghanaian. there. So I was gonna throw that in there. And I'm like, hold on now, but um, yes, I'm excited to be here and to add my two cents, and hopefully, you know, we get some more eyes on Ghana. All right. Well, since you decided to go ahead and jump the gun and and, and make sure that I didn't <laughs> forget Cote d'Ivoire, why don't you tell people? A little bit about your own personal backstory, where you were born, where you were raised, when you moved to America, because like mm -hmm. many, many, um, many children of Africa, you did move here at a young mm -hmm. age. So break us down. Give us your story. Yeah. So, so my mom is Ghanaian and Ivorian and my father, he passed away, was Italian. So my parents met in Ghana um, and I obviously was made and my mom went back to Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire because that's when her, where her mom's people were. So, you know, when you have a baby, you go to your mom's place and everyone can love up on you. So she, I was born in Abidjan and when I was there for like a year or two, moved back to Ghana with my mom and I grew up in Ghana till I was 11. I moved to the States three days before 9-11. 
that was quite the welcome. And I moved here because my mom got remarried. So her husband, who is also born and raised in Ghana, um, had actually been in the States for 20 years. So they met in Ghana, long distance relationship, decided to get married. And I was I had two choices, either to go to boarding school in England or to move here with my mom. And obviously I chose my mom and you're probably wondering, well, where was your dad? My dad was in Italy, um, was still in Ghana, but I think the idea was like, look, you could either go to boarding school there and come back to Ghana or go to the States to visit your parents, or you just stay with your mom and then go back to this Ghana every December. So I decided to move with my mom and I moved here to New Jersey and then I moved to DC because I went to Howard and then I've been here ever since. Then I married you and had kids. So now we're here in DC. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. The mm -hmm. two options, go to boarding school or move to America. Is that a common, well, is the move, go to boarding school part. Is that right. like a common experience yeah. for that is a lot of people experience. in your situation? Yeah, so even without thinking of moving to the States or without that option, it's very common when you get to high school to move to um, London for boarding school or there are obviously boarding schools in Ghana. So that was a, um, those were the options for us. You can just go to boarding school in London. So um, most of my friends ended up moving to London at that age. And it was now when you think about it, you would think that after high school, which here you would be 17, but you were moving to boarding school at 11 or 12 um, and coming home to Ghana only. And again, this is a situation for um, that was applicable to my friends and I. So obviously, there's so many people in Ghana. They have different experiences. Um, but for us in my world, that was very common. So, um, yeah, my best friend, Adeline, Adeline, we moved at the same time from Ghana. She chose the boarding school route in London and I came to the States. So what was that experience like when you moved here to New Jersey? Uh, what do you remember about, I don't know, making that move and what it felt like being a stranger in a new place? So it's fun because I before I moved to um, to the U.S., I'd only been here twice. And that's when I believe I was like five and six. So I'd been to New York once, and I think for a few days for, for holiday. And I'd been to... Um, florida for no sorry california we went to disneyland or was it disneyland or disney world that's in florida that's in la right so that was my entire experience i had come here with my mom with adlin and her mom and that was our experience so like during the summer for holiday at disneyland right so to move here in 2000 i actually moved here without my mom because my mom was pregnant and when we were scheduled to move so she stayed in ghana to have my brother kojo but school was starting so i had to move to the states by myself um and that was and obviously i moved here with my stepdad so Thankfully, there was his family around and they were very welcoming. And, you know, I had all these new cousins from my stepfather. But moving here at 11 was definitely, um, it was, it was, it was a, a very like culture, crazy, shock. culture shock for real. Um, I, the first thing I remember thinking my first day of school was, 
how folks were like were so mean. And by mean, I remember asking this girl for a piece of paper and I would never forget like the, why don't you have your own piece of paper and the eye roll. And I remember that day thinking to myself, oh, you have to have tough skin like being here. So that's a memory I would never forget. Um, and these, you know, these kids my age and I just felt like everybody was super like snappy, a little tougher and um, it wasn't like the nice, nice Ghanaians that I had grown up with. There's a funny question. Mm-hmm. Did you sound like you do right now when you moved here? No, no, I didn't sound like I did, like like I do now. Um, growing up in Ghana, obviously we would go to England often. So if we had to like switch accents, we would be switching to a British accent. Um, but here the American accent wasn't one that I was familiar with. So I remember immediately trying to catch the American accent, but I would blend it with the British accent. But, you know, after a few weeks, once you're in there, you start picking up things. Um, I'm sure I sounded uh, like I was making fun of the American accent. I was probably pulling from what I thought the American accent was, but after, you know, after a year I was good here. So real funny anecdote from a time when we went to, we went to Ghana in 2019 for your yeah. return and one <laughs> oh of God your sister. best friends, <laughs> no, uh, God sister, we got Anna. stopped by the police. Yeah. We got stopped by the police. Uh, and which is a whole experience in and of itself getting pulled over yeah. by the cops in another country. But I remember she tried to pretend like she was an American and she yeah. put on like that country Texas accent, like, sorry, officer, we're just Americans trying to get, and I was like, Wow, does everybody affect right. <laughs> a cu- our our view of a country Texas accent in order to like imply Americanness? I thought that was very funny. That was um, funny. Yeah, it's still one of the memories that I cherish. Yeah, I knew uh, you were about to say that. I knew you were about <laughs> to say that, and that's what I was thinking myself too when I said I was probably making fun because I, from that experience, hearing Anna like say that was like, is that what I sounded like when I first came here? Obviously, I don't remember, but. Um, it definitely required me to quickly um, get into it. Like, cause I, again, my mom was home, was back home in Ghana. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I was tough then and I was a resilient kid then. So at that time I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. I got to get into it. Like, this is where I live. Um, I have to make friends. I have to understand the culture, get to know the culture, get to know the people. And, but I missed home terribly i remember i was trying to use at that time it was calling cards so i was asking my stepdad to go get the calling cards where you have to scratch off the number and call back and you have like 20 minutes or whatever minutes and i would just be calling my two friends adlin and shramit like all the time um and crying and crying and just ready to get back and at some point it just stopped at some point i enjoyed my friends here, my first friend, Noemi, uh, we're still friends now. She's here in um, the DMV area, and she really took me under her wing and my other girlfriend, Noelle. And then I was I was a girl from Jersey. I became quickly a Jersey girl. So we're going to we're going to pivot eventually into <clears throat> the moment that I think is happening now or has been happening in the past few years that I jokingly refer to as the Wakanda effect here. But what do you remember about, like, you said that people were mean, 
but that could have just been your space there. But what do you, as you got older and you probably started thinking more about like America versus, you know, Africa, but Ghana specifically from where you're from. But I imagine there were lots of Nigerians where you were, you know, you go to Howard or you go to HBCUs mm-hmm. as part, you know, the, the African students tend to, there's a lot of Nigerians and all this stuff. Like, what do you remember about the America, the African America relations, um, coming up? Like, do you have fond memories or was it ones of like tension? You know, it's crazy. And I'm, and I think someone has an influencer said this before and people didn't believe her. Um, I forgot which influencer when I, for me, like, Growing up in Ghana, when we thought of like African Americans, it was mostly, um, you know, rappers or um, like singers or you know, Destiny's Child, that sort of girl. I I didn't really know or have like any tension when I came here. It's crazy. I actually um, never considered like growing up. Well, maybe at least from when I left Ghana, we weren't even though we're like an hour away from the the um Cape Coast Castle or Amina Castle that's not something that we grew up learning about or being taught about and I let me not say that's not so everywhere I know in my school I went to Ghana International School that's not something that we were super aware of that hey black people in America came from Ghana you know where come from that's not something that my parents were constantly talking about so here um it was very like oh you know like black Americans are super tough or, um, obviously now the the word Akata is a word that you can't, or you shouldn't be using because people are more aware. People are more connected, um, to the diaspora, you know, like, especially when you go to HBCU and you're taking Afro-American studies, they're going to teach you what Akata means, you know? And at that point, I think there wasn't, before the year of return, you know, there was still kind of a divide where parents would even make a joke like, you think you're one of, um, you think you're an Akata, you think you're one of these friends? No, you're still an African girl. You're going to act like that. So I think there was still a divide and there probably still is. There actually is. And, and we can get into that later. But that concept or that frame of thinking um, wasn't checked, especially even with my mom, right? Like, There are a lot of things now that we've been here for a few years, now that I'm married to you, a Black American, now that I went to Howard and have a bit more context and more understanding of what African Americans have gone through, those sorts of conversations or those sorts of like flippant comments that were made are now checked, whereas before, um, it was just kind of like, we're Africans, Black Americans, are here, they're super rough, they're super rude. And it's unfortunate that that was, you know, the thought, especially coming um, from Ghana. That's something that I I I would say was a thing when I was growing up here, when I first moved and now, and now it's not. Now it's more connected and there are more conversations. And obviously it happened before the year of return, but I think the year of return really put Ghana on the map and put the idea of coming home, um, especially with celebrities coming home and um, making it a thing, you know, like people weren't, weren't associating um, their December holiday celebrations with Dutsy December, which means like you're going to have a good time in Ghana and Nigeria. And now like, that's a thing. So I think there's absolutely a difference. 
So, well, two. So I have two questions. We're gonna. Well, two questions before we go to break. Number one, you use the word akata a couple of times that I don't know that we, people know exactly what that means. Context clues probably make that clear. But the second question I want you to address too is that you were speaking of the perspective of how you all were you all were thinking how you as a Ghanaian were thinking about like Americans here. Yeah. Did you feel welcomed as an African? In America, like, have you always felt welcome and comfortable here? And like, because this was in my perspective that, you know, we black America, there's always been a little bit of tension in the sense that I, I feel like the jokes, the the othering, like we're not the same kind of thing. Like that's always existed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, I grew up down south, you know, when I'm in America. So it's not like there's a, you know, it's pretty much your black, white or <laughs> You know, right. that's pretty much all we have there where I feel like in the Northeast where you were, the the communities, are there's a lot more specific like ethnic right. communities where the identity is more central to who you are. So right. what was that? What was so, that like? Okay. So versus two, like African-Americans. Right. So two things. One, because I am biracial, you know, and I'm racially ambiguous, I probably did not experience as um, much of that as other Africans coming into country may have, you know. So moving here, like some folks thought I was um, Latina. Um, so I, I think like I do want to point that out and not discredit like other folks' experiences. But also the jokes were made, but it wasn't necessarily targeted to me. It's like, oh, yeah, you, she just came from Africa. Oh, yeah, she just came from Ghana. Um, dang, are there lions over there? Like, where did you live? So those things did happen, um, especially because I was straight from Africa. Like, I moved here on a Friday. I started on a Monday. So there were just a lot of things that beyond me even saying I just came from Ghana, beyond my accent, um, at that, you know, at that age in the States, folks, girls were getting their eyebrows done. Girls were like shaving their legs. And that may seem like, you know, duh. But in Ghana, that's like we weren't shaving our legs in sixth grade. We weren't getting our eyebrows done in sixth grade. So I was definitely teased um, a lot. You know, um, I think that even my stepdad and when my mom moved here, they're just going to like the stores that they know to just get clothes that fit. They're not really in tune with the fashion style here. So I had high waters for a long time. And um, those were things that I was definitely made fun of. So I wasn't, it was evident. It was like, okay, this girl is just from, is from somewhere. And she's telling us she's from Africa. So I was teased in that vein, but Obviously, if I was um, 100% African versus 50%, I'm sure there were other jokes that that um, would have been made. To answer your Akata question, so the Akata word by definition is like a chicken running around with their head cut off. And and that was, that's essentially referring to African-Americans as, you know, someone with no head. And if you don't have a head, you don't know where to go, right? Your head is worth um, you know, direct to you. So a chicken running around with no home, no head. Um, but I will say, and it's like what I'm about to say, folks would be like, well, who cares if that's still what it means? When we would refer to black Americans as a kata, it wasn't, it, 
we knew what the meaning of the word was, but at some point it, it just was a phrase to just describe African-Americans. So when someone is like, at, w- would ask me, my friends from Ghana, even when I started dating you, or if I was dating anybody, they'd be like, oh, is he Akata? You know, it's just, they're just asking like, is he African-American? Not necessarily, is he somebody with his head who has nowhere to go? He's just, at, they're just asking. So at some point it was just describing like, you know, um, or they'll say like, oh, is he Oibo, which is, you know, again, like a white person or someone from abroad. So um, <laughs> that's really what it became. Um, <laughs> but I guess, again, like I said before I even described it, I'm like it doesn't really matter because the intent is still the same. And um, and folks have even, and I knew that it didn't matter because one time we were at a family gathering and I don't think you heard it, but my cousin was like, Oh, you know, she was saying something. She's like, yeah, I cut off for And my mom was like, Oh no, we don't, you can't say that. Like they know what it means. Like, don't, you know, don't say that. (laughs) It's also trifling, but you know, that's funny. All right. We're going to take a real quick break here. Africa is being amplified in all kinds of ways now. So we're going to talk more about that. We'll return here on Dear Culture. Stay tuned. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, we're back here, Dear Culture. I'm joined today by my wife, Simona Noche Wright, who is talking to us about her experience being a Ghanaian who moved here to America when she was 11 and what that was like, what it was like leaving Ghana to move here, what it was like while she was here as a young person growing up. And I kind of want to talk about or move a little bit into both the present and, and I guess the most recent, most recent past, so to speak. I've always felt like there was this kind of split or difference between like Africans and like black Americans. Like there was a split, right? Then the year of return. Well, actually what really happened was black Panther hits and all of a sudden everybody, every black person is over here going to the movie theater, dressing their finest, their finest dashiki gear, the finest kente they've ever seen. Like everybody is making an effort, which has got to be somewhat confusing to a lot of people who have felt um, belittled or ridiculed of African descent for a long time. Like, wait a minute, y'all was clowning us. Now all of a sudden everybody's trying to be us. There's been a huge influx of people doing like uh, D- ancestry DNA testing to try to find out where they come from. There's all this very renewed interest in like the motherland, so to speak. And that culminates in both, you know, Black Panther comes out in 2018, but 2019, Ghana smartly, one of the most brilliant marketing ploys in all time, comes up with this year of return initiative, which kind of beckons black Americans and people from the, uh, the, the black diaspora to come back to Ghana, to come to Accra and basically come revisit, retake your homeland. And it was like a hugely popular um initiative it seems like you know all of a sudden everybody's talking about ghana and going to accra and like now you know then the pandemic hits and of course it slows down but it seems to have picked right back up what has that been like kind of seeing the not just renewed but like significant interest in ghana 
and in this return to like the homeland that you know that's it's kind of permeating like everybody I, I guess I can't say everybody but it seems to be a significant number of people seem really interested in both visiting Africa as a first choice destination now as opposed to going to you know the 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 Santorinis and all these other places people are like yo let's let's go to South Africa let's go to Ghana specifically let's go to Senegal let's go to these places like what's that been like for you I mean first I just want to say like I think it's amazing I think it's wonderful um I am proud you know that Ghana is on the map and you know, so many countries in Africa have just as amazing and beautiful um, places and resorts to visit just as you would go to, you know, Italy or Greece or anywhere of the islands. Um, I think it's dope that the more people are going there, the more people are exposing the beauty of these African countries. So I love that. It's a win-win for everyone. Um, folks coming in are enjoying themselves. And obviously these countries are making a lot of money through tourism. Um, you know, I think with the year of return, I am very... It, it came out of nowhere, right? Like you've always had people that would, especially African-Americans that at some point of their life would come to Ghana or go to South Africa and just have this heart to move, right? But it wasn't as, it, it hasn't been like this. So I'm not, you're right. Maybe it did come from Black Panther and absolutely like a lot of my, my African, uh, my Ghanaian friends who or Nigerian friends who grew up here were born here definitely always say, look, they were making fun of us. They were calling us African booty scratcher, calling us we're too dark skinned. Duh, duh, duh. And now all of a sudden Black Panther comes and you're running to his history DNA and trying to figure out where you're from, trying to wear your dashiki or, or go and get your kente made or whatever it is to come. But um, either way, the point is like, we need to be together and we're here. I do think, and specifically from, um, from a Guinean point of view, like, I love that, like, people are coming to Ghana. I love that folks are coming and seeing just how enjoyable Ghana is, the beauty of our people. I love that people, um, Blacks are coming to Ghana and being, like, having that moment of like, oh, wow, everybody is brown, you know? And that's something that, you, you know, you said you experienced and a, a few friends have said, you know, like, yeah, there's really no, I mean, obviously there's white people, but even the white people there at some point become getting in, you know, like my dad. So you, um, I, I love that people are feeling, I do think from, I, I would say like when we went for our honeymoon, but also for you to visit my family and also for the year of return, it was a beautiful experience, but it was definitely a stressful experience because I was looking at it from your perspective, you know, learning from an African-American's perspective of what this trip meant to them. And then I was looking at it also from the lenses of Ghanaians who, you know, my family, my cousins, my friends who were all very supportive, all excited for, you know, um, you to come or African-Americans to be there. But there were definitely some com some flipping comments that were made like, you know, all these people are here and look at the traffic. They need to just go back home or, oh, God, look at them trying to figure out um, where they're from or just making fun of a lot of not even just making fun. Well, yes, making fun and um, making some very rude comments about 
you know, slavery, some very flippant comments. And if, you know, for me, I was like that, even if not a lot of, obviously everyone isn't hearing these comments that I made, the fact that this is even a thought um, in, in people's minds and those people being some of my friends, it was very interesting to witness. Um, but I think, it's it's been amazing you know this year folks flooded ghana again like and i love it i love that people are now you know spending their year hustling in america and then they're like look it's december time is the holidays we are going straight to ghana we're partying all day ghana is not a real place i love it like i love it for everybody it brings the country money but and it, and it gives people a good time but i do think that underneath all that it is not it's not a hundred percent big hug from both sides you know we saw the meek mill thing that happened recently where he um made a video a music video at jubilee house which is um the president's home like the white house here and immediately like you it was almost as if dirty december didn't happen there was this divide that was honestly so shocking I had no words and and I had no words because it was shocking but then it also was not you know it was like this is truly how everyone feels inside you had all these African-Americans who are like these Africans don't like us anyway um you know what who cares y'all always changing the rules like just just disrespectful things and then you had Af Africans you know, saying the most horrible things like, well, it's not my fault. You y'all were stacked, stacked on a shit or a boat. And I, I like, it was crazy to read. I'm like, these are real people. We went from posting all these videos and reels and, um, on our personal pages and on these popular pages on the shade room. And then this happens and it's like, oh no, this is how we truly feel. Um, and outside of the shock, beyond the shock and, it was truly sad. It was like, oh, this is this is really. It was sad. So I don't know. I think it's it's a good time, and 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 we will continue to have that good time. And eventually, it brings us closer, and we start to have conversations um, within our networks and our, amongst our networks and our friends um, to really get to the bottom of what this beef is, or maybe it's something that would never be fixed. But whether or not it's fixed or not fixed, they should still. You guys should still come to Ghana have a good time and then everybody go home. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what this happens naturally, right? Like a bunch of people from another country who are going somewhere. And like when I, when I went over there, it was very moving. It was a very emotional experience for me because we got to go like as somebody who does not know, where my family was from, I'm sitting here thinking my family could be from here. This literally could be it. Like I'm looking into the, we're at parties at like two o'clock in the morning and I'm staring off into the ocean thinking, <laughs> thinking about, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. Like, man, like what if this could have been the beach my family was on before they, you know, this, this is the other side, you know what I mean? And it, it was, it was very moving. But what I also think everybody coming over, lots of people coming over now exposes is just that, those divides do still exist, right? So everybody's happy when everybody's making money and it's money coming in, but it's a ton of people, so it's more traffic. And then you get those those slight incidents that, you know, kind of prove that, oh, we ain't the same people. You know, we're mm -hmm. people, but we ain't people. And 
we're all here for the unity and the love, but everybody doesn't feel that way. And I think it's going to take time as more and more people, you know, as, as this continues to be a, a, an annual thing that I think more and more people move over there, those, those things, they'll, they'll get worked out in some yeah, way. I don't know that it'll ever absolutely. be fixed, like you said, um, or be ever kumbaya necessarily. Like it, it's, yeah. we still, we are still culturally two different people, even if we have shared ancestry and all these other things like, um, I do remember seeing your faces and the faces of some of your friends when those comments were made around me. It's almost like people forgot that I was there. <laughs> so it was interesting because it's like, oh, wow, that hurt. I, got, I wanted to be like American in the room, by the way, guys. Um, <laughs> I can hear you. But also, it was also interesting just to see like, oh, OK, so this is how people do feel like it's all it's all cool that everybody's here. But. And I don't think anybody, I don't, there was nothing malicious necessarily, just so much as flippant, maybe on occasion, whatever, but um, it was interesting to see. And, you know, again, at the same time, I really was out here staring, like staring into the ocean, <laughs> like a, like a lost puppy at times, like <laughs> hold me, I'm, pass me that bottle of champagne so I can drink my pain away while I stare at the ocean. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's some of that going on, but, um, you know, I guess you kind of alluded to it a little bit. Like, where do you think? Like, where do you think all of this can go? Because I think it's, so for instance, I'm going to make a, 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 an interesting roundabout. Mm -hmm. Afrobeat music is one of them. It's, it's kind of had this huge, uh, huge, like, um, it's not a resurgence. I don't know what you would call it, but here in America, right? Like, I feel like you can listen to the radio when you hear Thames and Burner Boy, like on regular radio stations in mm -hmm. rotation now. Like, that's just a common thing. And I don't know that that was the case even just some years ago, but, yeah. you know, we recently went to go see Burner Boy here at the Capital One Arena, which is where the Wizards play, you know, sold out crowd like the the entire diaspora descended upon Capital One Arena to see <laughs> Burner Boy. Um, and, I, you know, that happens in New York. It happens everywhere, right? Like these mm -hmm. these artists are selling out arenas and stuff like that now. Um, or maybe I'm just now noticing that that's what's been happening. I don't know. But it's like. You know, what does that feel like to, to realize like the cultural part of it, you know, is genuinely like these Jollof. I think social media helps too. like the mm -hmm. Jollof Wars, like Instagram page, like everybody sees that stuff. Right. And mm -hmm. everybody, you know, it's like everybody is whether you can participate, the interest seems to be there and people paying attention to all of these cultural like cultural um, like the divide isn't as stark. It doesn't seem like the cultural stuff is more mm -hmm. interesting to people now. Like, yeah. have you noticed that? Like, what does that feel for you? Especially Absolutely. as somebody who is part of an organization. Um, my wife is the founder, one of the co-founders of District Motherhood, which is a the premier organization for millennial <laughs> moms of color in the in the in the DMV, the Washington D.C. area. But like, you all had a Jollof Wars thing. Yeah. Now it was largely the African contingent <laughs> who who attended, but there were some American folks in there. Just like, there were trying lots to check of American. Out, all, all of our most of our ticket holders were lots of American. I mean. It's definitely like you you go from year of return and everyone is like, yes, this connection. And then Burna Boy, I was incredible. Like I enjoyed the concert, but I think I enjoyed it more because I just kept on thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is a sold out concert um, from the African giant. Like and yeah, there may have been a, mostly Africans there, but it was still so many Americans. But the fact that this was happening like afrobeats is on the map you know like 
Afrobeats is like folks know the lyrics and and they know who Burner Boy is, they know who Wizkid is. You know, this is on the radio. I remember the name of the song is um, it's it's, it's slipping my mind, but I remember driving. This was like twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen. And I was driving, I was listening to the radio, and an Afrobeat song came on, and I had to double um, check, I did to check if it was on my Spotify, and it was on the radio, and I was so shocked that I'm like, wait, 93.9 got this Afrobeat song, like, just playing, and then it became more consistent, and then they're like, Wizkid, Burner Boy, it went from, you know, a point where, you know, in the clubs or on the radio, they'll play American music, and then, if anything, they could hit you with the reggaeton or they hit you with um, dance hall. You know, it was never Afrobeats. Now, Afrobeats is a thing. It is part of the rotation on the playlist. Um, now, you know, one of the local radio stations now on Sunday, they only play Afrobeats and they talk about um, um, the history of Afrobeats and, and the stories behind the Afrobeats musicians. So, it's definitely changed. It's definitely noticeable. Even the Jalof Wars thing, that that beef between um, Nigeria and Ghana, you know, now has become everybody's like beef. You know, even if they can't participate, folks will even talk about Jalof and be like, "Oh no, I heard Ni- Nigeria Jalof. Is this a war? Is this a beef?" You know, like people st- they they're selling Jalof War seasoning at Trader Joe's, like you know, which which is crazy, you know. But I I think that. Um, like you said, you know, with all the, as more time goes on and as more of these different cultural, um, experiences and, you know, merging itself together, I think our, our, like, um, we, we will start to become more connected. Uh, we will, I don't know. Like, I, I just think it, but it's absolutely noticeable. Like you can't say that if I, you know, five, six years ago, like, this was just normal where Afrobeats was, and maybe I'm, maybe, well, maybe eight years, maybe five, six years ago, but yeah, no, because there was a song that was such a popular hit. I think it was tw- 2018, so it was definitely recent, but now you have Jollof Wars happening all over the country. You have Afrobeats um, parties happening, so, and it's not just for the African community. Um, everyone is invited. So I really, I'm enjoying that. And um, I'm enjoying that that's a thing. Even um, the the sponge that we use, like in Ghana, which, you know, Sapon, now it's like a thing. You know, you know what I'm talking about, obviously. Yeah. But now Sapon is sold at Nordstrom, you know. And this past year, it's been on the TikTok reels and all these beauty influencers are talking about it, which is funny to me because I'm like, what? This is news to you. This is what we've been been doing. But, you know, you have to give grace and you have to. Is it annoying sometimes to know that this is this is like a dollar back home and now you're selling this for twenty dollars at Nordstrom and you're repackaging it? Absolutely. It's very annoying. And but. I think, you know, what we've been doing in Ghana, in Nigeria, and all these African countries, um, because of these African influencers or musicians, we're bringing our culture culture here. But in on that same note, I, I really do hope that at some point, all these visits from African-Americans, like that idea is returned. There is so much 
that we in Ghana have to learn from African Americans here, you know, like, and, and I'm not talking about, um, personality or behavior, but there's so many people doing dope, amazing things that can only improve the way we do things in Ghana. Um, the way we produce events in Ghana, the way hospitality, you know, like, so I really hope that at some point we are, <laughs> we are open to learning from African Americans and giving space to African Americans to shine in Ghana through collaborations. You know, I really hope that one day I can take District Mother Hughes, the mom friends, you know, back to Ghana, um, and start bridging that gap so that we can have the same conversations we're ha having here um, on postpartum care and um, gentle parenting. I'm hoping that we can make this a cross-cultural um, conversation. So, and that can apply through all the different fields and interests. So I think it's a good thing. We have a lot to learn and we have a long way to go. So the initiative that we're doing here at the GRIO, which is Africa Amplified, you know, the that's why we that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you, which I think has been a really good one. But the idea of Africa Amplified, you know, what I'm going to ask is kind of a ridiculous question because I feel like it's just kind of obvious. But, you know, kind of as a putting a putting a, a cap on the convo, like. Why do you think it's important to amplify Africa? For the betterment of the world, so to speak. It's important to amplify Africa because we we have a lot to give. If you are going to amplify other countries based on um, luxury or what their vacation um, offerings are, if you're going to pour that money and time to amplify these other countries when Africa is this um, beautiful gold mine with all these people who some where there's lots of resources in Africa, but there are so many um entrepreneurs and and um places and businesses and ideas who are not thriving yet due to lack of resources. So it's important to amplify to show what the country has to give and so that we can start to bring more money and bring more people and bring more brilliant minds to the different African countries so that we can continue to thrive. You know, I would love so that we can also take away of all these like jokes and myths of people living in huts and, and, and uh, living with animals and just, you know, lions or whatever, like, we want to be able to show the truth about Africa and how fun it is, but also it's not always fun. It's not always luxurious. There are a lot of people that do have a lot of need and a lot of improvement that's needed. So if we can get those resources from our brothers and sisters in the States, that's helpful, you know? So I'm glad that people are putting Ghana on the map. I hope that this remains a thing. Um, you know, everybody likes to, what was that? At some point, everybody was going to Tulum. We got to make sure everybody's going to Ghana every December. It just should be part of our travel plans. Yeah, I think I told you that if not for the pandemic, I thought Accra was basically going to become the new Miami where mm -hmm. everybody was. And I know Miami's just kind of, you know, basic, whatever, but just like, yo, it's just a immediate. If you can't think of where to go, man, let's just go to Miami. Well, let's just go to Accra. Like it, it really yeah. had that feel for me while we were there 
It was so much. I couldn't even hang. I was like, yo, I can't do this. Like, I'm tired. And there was like, so, there was so much. much that I am even learning now from from people's travels to Ghana, like places that I've never heard of or been. You know, so we have there. There's just a lot to see and a lot to do. Um, there, there's space for for businesses to blow up. You know, folks here are trying to be entrepreneurs and. Um, you know, it's crowded, the ideas here, you can take that idea back to Ghana and, or wherever you want to go, Nigeria, Kenya, Tanzania, whatever, and start building up these Africa, continue to build up because there are entrepreneurs in Ghana and these countries already doing the work. So if you can bring your ideas there, that would be great. And, you know, ultimately, I think if there's any reason why I think Africa needs to be amplified, it's just so that everybody can finally fully appreciate the joy and nonsense that are Nollywood films. It's like, of course we, we like to clown Tyler Perry, but I mean, there's an entire industry built on that model of pure nonsense. And I'm not talking about just the, 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 the scenes and stuff people <laughs> share of truly bad, nonsensical acting where somebody actually uses their hands as a gun and then people fall out and mm-hmm. fall over things. I mean, just, just regular bad acting, that's yeah, also all, there's there's always part. a wedding there's always a random white woman there's, there's always, always you witch. know this so entertaining we're going to take one more break when we come back we're going to do what, some of my favorite segments here on dear culture which is our black fashions and our black accommodations so we can find out what you want to personally amplify so stay tuned okay. here on dear culture the griot black podcast network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right. Welcome back here to Dear Culture. Uh, my guest today is my wife, Simona Noche Wright, who is here as part of our discussion about amplifying Africa here at the Grio. We've been talking about uh, her move from Ghana to America, what it's been like seeing the, you know, the year of return, people returning back to Ghana, but in droves. And, you know, if you've been paying, if you pay any attention to what's going on, especially in black culture, you know that Accra is like the home of festivals and all that stuff now. So we've been talking about that, just the joy and the amplification of what it's like to to witness the way that people are embracing Africa now, which I think is wonderful. And this is my own personal embrace of people in their different cultures and ideologies here at Dear Culture we ask everybody to bring a black fashion to the table, a black fashion being a confession about your blackness that people might find surprising. And you have all manner of stuff. So I, I got to tell everybody, my wife, I got, I got to preempt this. I don't know what she's going to say. y'all. I have no clue. My wife loves to pretend she just got here yesterday. <laughs> like we'll be having the middle of a huge argument discussion with a bunch of people. And she don't know about something. She'd be like, you know, I'm not from here. Like straight <laughs> off the boat. Like she literally got here yesterday. That's how she likes to pretend. Meanwhile, she be knowing B sides and um rare cuts off of albums and songs by people that I'm like, why do you know this song? Though oddly, she didn't bring up Lionel Richie one time, which I thought was odd <laughs> because it seems like Lionel Richie 
if Lionel Richie just toured Ghana, he'd be a billionaire because everybody loves Lionel Richie in Ghana from my experience. So anyway, <laughs> a black fashion. My wife, my love, my dear, do you have a black fashion? Yes, I think my black fashion is I I have never seen the color purple from start to finish. The first time I really saw the color purple was on when I just saw the play like last month, but I've never actually seen the movie. Now you said from start to finish. But have you I mean, seen I'm it at walk, all? It's, it's been on and I'm like, oh, let me sit down and try And then I'll watch like 10 minutes and then go somewhere. Like I haven't actually seen it. So there's like, you know, references and jokes or, you know, lines that people will finish. And I'm, I don't know. I Not don't only know that, them. she had people thinking she's seen it. Because <laughs> when she went to go see The Color Purple to play, I got a text from one of your homies like, your wife just sold me out. She had me looking like one of our friends was like, she got me looking like the only one who hasn't seen this movie, seen that movie. Like you got real silent. Terrible. Okay. Haven't seen the color purple. I feel like that's on me. Like, I feel like whatever black really fashion you bring to the table. Like I've seen it. The reason why I let, left her hanging is because has it been on? Have I seen parts? Do I have, I've seen that part, you know? Um, but have I sat down and watched? No, my first time was like watching the play. And I was like, oh, this is good. Now I see why I feel okay. I should watch it again to understand more, get more context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have to make sure at some point that you see the color purple. From I mean, seeing the, I haven't seen the play, so I imagine the play's got to be pretty close in nature to it. But ain't nothing like watching the movie with Whoopi and Danny Glover. You just, you just got to yeah. see it, Mr. And seeing good old Suge Avery do that, do that, do that march when she's in. I was married now. You got to, I think you got to see the movie version of that. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to counteract the typical shame that people bring to the table with their black <laughs> fashions, we also ask people to bring a black recommendation to the table. Black recommendation being a recommendation about something for, by, and about black people, black culture, or whatever, what have you. Uh, do you have a black recommendation? Well, yeah, well, my black recommendation would be my organization, District Mother Youth. District Mother Youth exists to serve black moms. Uh, we are also the creators of the first full day conference for black moms in the country, the Mom Friends. So that would be my recommendation if you are a mom, a bonus mom, um, an adopt mom. The Mom Friends is it for you. It is a weekend where you get to escape and join with other Black moms for some fun, for some sessions, for some self-care. And it's really a good time. And when we talk about conference, we're not talking about sitting um, in a room with gray walls. It is an entire experience. So this year, the Mom Friends is May 19th to the 21st. And 600 moms from across the country are coming down. Um... So yeah, that would be my black commendation. That would be the black commendation. Yeah, black commendation. Well, uh, right. thank you for that black commendation. I agree. Mm-hmm. District Mother Hewitt is an amazing organization. I jokingly, my joking tagline was keeping husbands from their wives since 2016. Keeping wives from their husbands. These women is a part of district. Uh, keeping wives from their husbands. Yeah, uh, one way or the other. They these women do um, tremendous and amazing things. Uh, in the community, and they also enjoy themselves to no end. Uh, yeah. In that same as community, sh- they be out should. there. They they outside. As um, we 
As you should, as you should. A mother's job is never done as she likes to tell my children all the time. (laughs) So we'd like to thank you for joining us here on Dear Culture. Uh, Please tell everybody where they can find you. They can find out what you got going on. Anything they need to know about District Mother Hugh, the mom friends, all that stuff. Please promote yourself as necessary. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I had a really good time. You can find me on Instagram. Um, Search Simona Noche and it will come up as the Simona Noche, right? Um, But you can also just find us on District Mother Hughes. So that is District Mother Hughes, like H-U-E-D, districtmotherhughes.org. You find us on Instagram, subscribe to our newsletter. um, And just you can just also find me in D.C. at somebody's rooftop having brunch with my friends. Well, thank you for joining me here, Dear Culture. I appreciate you. I love you. This was wonderful. It was an interesting conversation. Uh, We found a good reason to have you here talking to us about your life and your perspective on where you've come from, where you are, and just that culture and community as a whole. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who's checking us out here on Dear Culture, part of the Griot Black Podcast Network. Uh, Africa Amplified is the initiative all January here. So make sure you check out the website where you can read articles, you can see video. Uh, You could just be a part of discussions about amplifying Africa, the continent, but also specific countries. I mean, listen, you might find this surprising, but Africa is not a country. I know some of us are still learning that lesson on a daily basis, (laughs) but as it turns out, it's not a country. So make sure when you amplify Africa, you know exactly what you're amplifying. So shout out to everybody paying attention and listening. Thank you for joining. My name is Panama Jackson. Have a black one. If you like what you heard, be sure to download the Griot's app to hear more episodes of Dear Culture and more original content from the Griot Black Podcast Network. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegriot.com. Dear Culture is an original production brought to you by the Griot Black Podcast Network. Our show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau, and Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcasts. I'm your host, Panama Jackson. Have a black one. Don't forget... You can listen to the Griot's Writing Black podcast hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are.